Hello and welcome to Gifts of the Weird. Uh, this is Jan Tiert, I'm your host, and I am very pleased to be bringing as my guest, Colin Freyason. Colin is the author of Norse Witch and several books to come. This is really thrilling. Colin Freyason prefers to think outside the box, even as he practices the old ways. Having spent the past 20 years as a pagan, he is a practicing Vitki and also a digital artist. As author of the recently released Norse Witch, Reclaiming the Heathen Heart, his is a voice literally straight from the other world. He is also the CEO of Iconography Press and an author of the Iconography pro- blog. Colin's artwork has been featured on the cover of, tr- of the Troth newsletter, Iduna, and at esteemed heathen groups across Facebook. And he has cr- recently created a great set of memes that you need to check out. He has 20 years of experience of the Elder Futhark runes. He is a practitioner of Saith and is currently exploring the practices of healing Galder. His presiding spirit is currently horsed by Olam Michel Ayakona, and he tends to view his status as a channeled spirit as the elephant in the room that everyone actually wants to talk about. However, he would much rather be regarded as a man with a valuable voice, a man who has something worthwhile to say via both his art and his writing, he has just happens also to be a man, like most men, who got where he is right now through considerable help from very dear friends and loved ones. Kanla, welcome to Gifts of the Weird. It's great to have you on. Thank you, Jan. It's good to be here. Um, this is really exciting because we have become friends through, I don't even remember how we got connected. I think I saw you posting something somewhere. And we started talking with one another via Facebook Messenger, and we just kind of developed a friendship since then. And um, although we haven't physically connected, we have mentally and spiritually connected, uh, uh, and it's been a really wonderful experience. Yeah, it was. what's really funny is I had listened to the show for like a year before we ever met. And the first time you messaged me, I didn't realize you were the same guy from Gifts of the Weird. So when that finally dawned, I was like, oh, wow, this is awesome. <laughs> I was an admirer previous to getting to know you. Well, thanks for listening to the show. That's really awesome. And I am, I'm really thrilled because we're just over two years doing this show. And it's been a great experience. And I'm really excited to present an acceptance and a, a way of heathenry that uh, people can just feel comfortable in expressing their practices, their values in a modern way. And I've met so many new people uh, in so many different forums and and practices that have been really great. So uh, this is really cool. So we are here to discuss a lot of things uh, because uh, you are such a versatile person and uh, an artist and an author and a poet. And there are so many great things and you have so many cool projects on the table, in process and coming out that... I don't know how you managed to do it. You have a great support network that is really helping you to do that. They're really great. So your recent, your most recent, and I think it, did it come out in April? Is Norse Witch Reclaiming the Heathen Heart. March. Is it came out from Ostara. Okay. A Tome. That is really a big book. And... And I, of course, have read it. Uh, I bought it as soon as it was available. I think the first, maybe the second day. I was really excited to uh, read it and get through it. So thank you for doing that. Uh, it's sitting right here on my desk as we speak because it's got a great artwork on the front. And in case I needed to refer to it, I have it here. So let's talk about your process of Norse Switch. 
first of all, what is a Norse witch? I mean, there are so many terms for different sects of heathenry today. We have heathen as an umbrella term for basically all of the folks who practice practices <laughs> from the northern traditions, northern Europe, basically Iceland, the Scandinavian, the Scandinavian, Scandinavian countries, the Germanic countries, and uh, the Anglo the Anglo Saxons who moved into England. And they include terms such as Asatru, Vanatru, Rock, uh, Norse Pagan, Norse Witch, Fornseth, and there's um, many others that I'm sure I haven't heard. And there's many others that unfortunately have been claimed by white supremacists, and we're going to leave those off to the side because uh, we don't support that in any way. So tell me, what is a Norse Witch? How does that fit into all of the other practices that um, we just mentioned and that are out there right now? Well, for me... To, to claim it as a Norse witch, as, as I was entering the heathen community, um, and, and once I had my break with faith and decided I was going whole hog this direction, I quickly discovered that everywhere I went, I got told I was doing it wrong because I didn't just want to read about it. I didn't just want to live in this old book. If I wanted to just live in an old book, I would have stayed a Christian. No offense to Christians, but every time I would put out anything that was a new way of thinking, or even if I would put out something that was from the archaeological record that people were aware of that, I got told I was doing it wrong. I was having experiences with Freya, and I got bashed upside the head with the concept of UPG, which I'm sure we'll get into that later, because somehow you and I always wind up getting into that. <laughs> yep. I, I real quickly realized I wasn't a, typic, a typical, in air quotations, I wasn't a typical heathen. Um, the other thing that I discovered along that same time was Norse traditional paganism um, coming out of Raven Caldera's writings. And I very quickly discovered that while that path was very open to UPG, I wasn't exactly that either. So I needed something <laughs> that described what the heck it is that I do. I kept finding myself confronted with Goldbeg over and over and over again. It was like Freya was beating me about the head and shoulders with Goldbeg. And in reading that passage in the Voluspa, I found the term Hether. The way I spell heathen and regular heathen are actually pronounced the same way, technically, because they come from the same root, Hether. And a lot of people, well, most people, trace heathen to Old Norse hether, meaning of the heath, of the countryside. And that's great, it can mean that, but like a lot of words in Old Norse, and if you start unlocking language, this will make you bang your head against the keys frequently. Like a lot of words in Old Norse, it's a lot like Chinese in that one word can mean about six different things. And another <coughs> glossing of hether is bright, clear, shining. And that is one of the by names of Goldbeg, and it's and therefore it is one of the by names of Freya. And when you find the word Hether used in a heathen context, i.e., referring to the faith, the practice, the religion throughout the lore, it is very clear that the root they're actually talking about is Hether, bright, clear, shining, not the Hether all they live in the country. You also find that title of Hether used often as a title for people who are practicing Norse magic. So from there, I realized 
Goldbeck is the ultimate Norse witch, thrice burned, thrice born, and as Panther, uh, so therefore, Norse witch goes out of that. I'm trying to follow in her footsteps in a modern world, minus the getting burned at the stake multiple times, although I've spent enough time in heathen groups and I've gotten at least one review that definitely burned me at the stake. Figuratively, yes. So what do you define as a Norris witch compared to as what people identify as Asatrue or Vanatrue or something like that? There's probably not a lot of difference technically or, you know, in reality, but uh, you call yourself a Norse witch. So there's a reason why you call yourself that. And why is that? As a Norse witch, you pull from that Norse base. You pull from that history. You learn from that. You let that history speak to you, but you don't allow it to snare you. You don't let it trap you in that past. We cannot live as our ancestors did, nor should we really want to. I mean, if, if, if the again, air quotations, Vikings, had wanted everything to stay the same and the status quo and not grow and bring in new cultures and new ideas and new ways of doing things, they never would have left Scandinavia. Yeah. Or they would have implemented completely Scandinavian culture, completely crushing everything else rather than merging it together, right? Yes, exactly. There wouldn't have been the multiculturalism which we find, and we find that born out through archaeological finds, through the artifacts. You know, we, we find lapis beads from Egypt in the, the tombs of a vulva, for example. Silk from the, the Silk Road. Exactly, exactly. Uh, possi- possibly, I talk about this some in the book, uh, this, is, this is one of the things that can really neither be proven nor disproved, Possibly singing bowls from Tibet. Um, there, there is a find from uh, the woman of Firkat in Denmark that suggests it, the bowl is definitely from that part of Asia, and it was filled with a substance which they think might have also been used for making the flying ointment, um, so to speak. Uh, but it could have just as easily been filled with that substance to the brim to silence the bowl. Because we find that tradition in, in grave artifacts of killing the item, ritually slaying the item to match its master. So, yeah, they, they brought things in from all over the place, and they clearly used them, spiritually speaking. So, why the heck shouldn't we? So, you know, you don't want to scream true the moment you do that, or scream chaos magic the moment you do that, but... There, there's holes here that you can fill in in ways that are not wicked true, that are not just mm-hmm. slapping some gardener onto some Norse stuff, you know. Uh, we can fill in the holes by looking at the archaeological record and then going, hey, what might they have used that artifact for? And then coupling that with the lore. And bring it into today. How can we use it or not use it? Or how can we transform it into something that's usable today, such as electricity, for instance, or the internet. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Everybody wants to talk about homesteading and whatever, which no offense to homesteaders, you go. Um, But everybody wants to talk about living exactly the way our ancestors did, but yet they're complaining about it while typing in an internet forum. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so 
a Norse witch talks about or uh, kind of builds on the Norse aspects of it. What about the Germanic continental aspects of heathenry or the Anglo-Saxon aspects of it or the Icelandic Saxon, uh, Icelandic parts of it? Um, how does that play into the quote-unquote Norse, which term is it kind of an umbrella term that kind of encompasses it all, the whole of the Germanic Scandinavian style, or are you very specific to Norse-only stuff? I will confess that I know more about Norse and Icelandic than I do about Anglo-Saxon and Germanic. I'm learning about those more now. What has spoken to me personally has been the Norse and the Icelandic. But if it works for you, whatever works for you, take what works for you, you know? If it works for you, certainly this can be adapted. I've given this book to several friends, one of whom is a practicing staunch Catholic. She's very faithful. And, you know, God's bless her for that. And there are things in this book that she can adapt to her Catholic practice as easily as someone who follows a Germanic champion can adapt it to theirs. I I intended it for it to be eye-opening and living, something you could breathe. And so if the Anglo-Saxon stuff breathes for you, then by all means, you can shove it right into the paradigm. Okay. Well, I have read the entire book, unlike one of your reviewers who quit after a couple of chapters and then decided to post a review. <laughs> I know, that's my little undercut. Uh, I have read the whole book, plus I've got the, the opportunity to actually collaborate and work with you on many things. So I actually find that even though it's Norse space, it actually works very well for anyone who's practicing under an umbrella type term. So I think that, uh, I mean, I'm Germanic, my, I'm Dutch, my, most of my stuff is based around that. But um, for me, all of, the, all of it has kind of merged together and formed a very great practice, which is kind of in line with how our ancestors did. They said, oh, I like that. That works well for me. I'm going to practice it. I'm going to add it into my practice. I'm going to add it into my religion. I'm going to add it into my household, the way that I do things. Hey, that person <laughs> that person knows how to cook a little bit differently than I do, and I like that. So I'm going to cook that way from now on, or I'm going to at least add that recipe to mine. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of how I look at um, our practices. I think that folks should not think that, um, oh, it says Norse on it, so I really like the Germanic God, so I'm going to work on that. Well, hey, take the book or take the practice, and then... Um, use it with the way that you view things is, is really a good way. So I like that. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> so here's something. Okay. I really, really, really uh, get my hackles up when I see in certain forums, people using as a denigrating term, um, Oh, he's a wicked true, or he's a fluffy bunny or a Norse witch, blah, blah, blah. And it's usually these Brasa true, true tribes that are just, they have this superior attitude, this supremacist attitude that I'm better than they are because I'm all about the lore. I'm all about Viking culture. And um, they really use it as a denigrating term and they make fun of people and they demean people with it. And to me, it just it hurts my soul yeah. that these people who are supposedly really getting into the representatives of the gods, that they want to harm other human beings. or And even if they're making a joke, is really that joke worth it? Is it necessary? So um, how can we support our Norse and Germanic and Saxon friends 
and recognize their commitment to the the gods and goddesses, the beings who originated in the northern lands and are now celebrated worldwide. Well, first first of all, I think something that needs to happen in our community is that people need to recognize that supremacy is supremacy, period. Whether that supremacist attitude is against people of color, whether that supremacist attitude is against women, whether that supremacist attitude is against people who are differently abled or against the LGBT community or against other heathens and other Norse practitioners who are practicing in a different way. Inclusive heathenry needs to be about including everyone who is not being a jerk, you know? <laughs> yes. Nice caveat there. We don't include jerks. Yeah, we don't even, no for them. But, you know, if we're claiming the perspectives on charity and mutual respect for our fellow people and honor and love and integrity and loyalty and hospitality, which are, by the way, found throughout the Havamal that these people like to beat you across the head and shoulders with, if, all, if embracing all of that and clinging to that so staunchly is fluffy, then I'm one proud rabbit. Yes. <laughs> that's not fluffy. That's being a human being. And if you don't want to be a human being, a proper human being, then you need to stay away from me. You know? <laughs> yes. being quote unquote fluffy. You know? And, and I get it. I understand that there are a lot of folks who are looking, who are just fed up with the violence and the the beating over your head with a book type thing. And they, they're going more into a new age thing. They're looking for something a little more soft and, and comforting and uplifting and supportive. I understand that. Uh, this, this world has gotten really ugly, especially in the last couple of years. And we need... We need to be, be supportive of one another. And I think if, if human beings actually lifted each other up more rather than tearing them down, even as quote unquote jokes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we could do a whole heck of a lot more to each other for the sake of the gods and humanity. Yeah, yeah. Well, and by the same token, I think a lot of these people who, who make the I'm going to eat them for breakfast jokes have this worldview that warriors are never vulnerable. And... I'm sorry to break it to them, but the warrior who doesn't recognize his own vulnerability is the one who's going to wind up in the dirt somewhere around the middle of the fight rather than at the end of it. And probably not on his way to Valhalla or Sesrim there exactly. because exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like they hope for. <laughs> you better hope he is crunchy and tastes good with ketchup because it's straight to Mythbob with you. You know, I mean... <laughs> Just because you have an insert spear here, Valknut on you, doesn't mean that that's where it's going to go and take you to Asgard. Exactly. Exactly. It's not a ticket. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> not the golden ticket. <laughs> yeah. So, Kanla, it's obvious that you have distilled a lot of experience into 400 written pages, and I'm sure that you probably have eight times as much that if you really wanted to write about it, you could. Oh, yeah. Uh, coming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're not we're not looking for the encyclopedia Norse Witchpedia, yeah. but uh, you have what I think you've done really great with this book is distilled it down to a lot of beginning points where you haven't filled in every single possible possible blank for them. You've you've set them at a starting point. You've said, okay, 
here's how this goes. For instance, how, how to know yourself and how to know them. And I just randomly flipped to that chapter. <laughs> how to know yourself, how to know them. Them being the gods and goddesses or the beings that you're working with. And um, you provide a few starting points, a, a starting ritual or a, a way to go out, the outseta. And what I love about this book is you don't give them everything because in my opinion, and please expound on this, is because it's not for someone else to tell someone how to do everything, but it's how to get them started and them to develop that themselves. Is uh, that accurate? Yeah, people people do not truly learn by being spoon-fed. You know, spoon-feeding someone all the answers, they're not actually learning their own way of doing things. They're not learning how to express themselves in their faith. They're learning how to express yourself in the faith. The, the, way, the only way that you can teach someone spirituality, spiritual practice, in my opinion, and really the only way you can teach anyone anything is by teaching them how to ask the right question. Yes. And then they come up to, with the answers to those questions themselves. Otherwise, it's not honest. Absolutely. I agree. Uh, I, I think that you express that well in this book and you have so many great, um, I really like how uh, in your, your chapter order, it kind of just takes things in a lot of different, different ways. And I don't know if you had a method to that quote unquote madness, but for instance, um, you start with the beginning stuff, of course, which is um, understandable, but then it's how to know them. That's the calling. It's then it's like, you, you have in there fighting Odin, uh, finding Freya, uh, finding Hela, or courting Hela, finding Freya. So you intersperse working with the different gods and goddesses uh, throughout some of the more practical stuff, such as doing deeper work, finding the world, then uh, understanding the nine worlds, journeying to them. And one of the things I really love is you're, you're basically your lonely planet guide to the nine worlds. <laughs> <laughs> That was great. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, the the finding chapters. I really intended them to be interludes because I wanted to pe- I wanted to to go into a description of hey, this is this god and this god does this. It would have been a much bigger book, and it was a way bigger book than I expected it to be to begin with. <laughs> Um, I, I wrote it in eight and a half by eleven format, and then my editor and publisher formatted it into six by nine, and they informed me that it was four hundred some pages. And I said, "I did what now?" Um, but those interludes, I wanted to share my experiences with the gods to give people kind of an idea of who the gods are. The same way that you might explain going on going out to dinner with someone, you know, and and to make them real for people. Uh, because they are, you know, but at the same and, and at the same time to see my experiences and invite them to have their own, you know, and the rest of the book, I kind of tried to lay the chapters out in such a way that it builds. So you get the basic building blocks, but then as you go through the book, you can you can dig a little deeper and go a little farther afield, sometimes quite literally in the case of the Lonely Planet Guide to the Nine Worlds. Yeah, it, I wanted it to build Excellent. And I think, I think you did. I think you actually accomplished that. It was um, really well. So what are your thoughts or how are people, how are ways that you think people can actually honor and worship the gods today and goddesses? I spent a lot of years as a high day pagan, kind of the same thing as a Sunday Christian. I 
I showed up for the high days. And beyond that, I just went through life. I didn't do anything. You know, I, I was there for Yule. I was there for Babylon. But beyond that, it was like, meh, go home. And my life was not pleasant. You know, I never really turned to, whenever I did turn to deity in my times of need, it was usually shaking my fist heavenward. <laughs> you know, so as I began to dive into the Norse practice, the first thing I began doing was pouring blood to Freya every Friday. And I actually started doing that before the official Freya Friday started. Um, so I was really excited when they started doing the official Freya Friday on the Freya Prayer Day on the second Friday of the month, because I was like, oh, hey, I was not wrong to pick Fridays to do this for my practice. It was kind of valuable, you know. Um, and so I started with that. Yeah. And, and, and uh, Colin, just for a second, just as a little interview, you can learn about Freya Prayer Day on episode 12 of Gifts of the Weird. Please continue. <laughs> Uh, and and that needs that needs to be plugged because that's an awesome thing um but i started with that and then from there i graduated up to every morning i would wake up and i would say a prayer every night before i went to bed i would say a prayer of gratitude for all the weird little things that happened during the day that were good and Conla, so when you do that i'm sorry to interrupt you but i want to i want to try to catch it while we're in the moment when you said a prayer, is it to the same god or goddess every day, or did you alternate them, or did you recognize different ones at different times? When I first started, I was just talking to whoever might be listening. Honestly, when I first started all of this, I expected to wind up full tree of Loki because I had worked with trickster deities so much in the past. Uh, so I was real shocked when Freya showed up. But when I first started, I was just talking to whoever might be listening. And then I started doing a daily practice for whatever God that day was, you know, as we all know, you know, Monday is, is Manny and Tuesday is here and Wednesday is Odin and so on. And as I did that, I started finding that there were some gods that I, I could, I could deal with in the morning and they'd be with me through the day. And I felt fantastic. And it was really easy to figure out where we connected. And then there were some gods, that, like Manny, that I tried to do that with. And I was just like, you know, we don't gel. <laughs> Thor was one of those deities until quite recently. So I started doing that. And I go into that in the book. And I talk about all the little tiny ways that you can dedicate a couple minutes a day to the gods, which is a really great way to meet the gods and figure out where you fit in, where they fit in. Uh, who you connect with, who you don't, what your direction is. I mean, and it, every single moment of every single day has the capacity for magic in it. And I don't mean magic like, you know, ooh, I'm making things happen. Magic isn't just about making things happen. Magic isn't just about shaping weird or not shaping weird. Magic isn't just about hexing people um, mm -hmm. or cursing people, you know, or whatever the misconceptions of what magic is. Every single moment, every single day that you are drawing breath is an opportunity for magic. And sometimes it can be something as simple as lighting a candle on the end table while you're reading a book and knowing that you're in a warm, safe place. That is its own form of magic. It's also a nice little nod to Frigga to thank her for the hookah of your home. 
So one of the big things that I, I try to invite in the book and that I try to invite in my blog and that I try to invite in everything I do in life is to be mindful. That mindfulness, that awareness of every single thing you do can be a, can potentially become a gift for the gods and can equally become a gift to you from them. That's the real magic of an earth witch. Uh, I agree with you. I think that's amazing. And we do have a nice starting point with the days of the week. And But it doesn't have to be limited only to those gods and goddesses. After that, we can always, um, whoever's speaking to us or whoever we want to develop a relationship with. One of the things that I really like about the book is how you encourage folks to develop relationships with the gods and the goddesses and the beings. Just introduce yourself, walk up and say, hey, how are you doing? Um, my name is Jan or I'm Kana or I'm uh, Sarah doesn't mean they're obligated to work with us or connect with us. Um, just like human beings, we may find, yeah, uh, I don't have that great of a connection. I'll, as much as I hoped I would or I thought I would, doesn't mean that it's bad or not that they won't be there for me, but yeah, I'll go over here. Or we may find um, a nice heavy tapping on the shoulder from Freya because she's quite involved with humanity and yes. Midgard, I think. And she, and she can be a bit overbearing, but, I, <laughs> but I mean that in the best possible way. <laughs> Yes, she is amazing indeed, and I, I love her dearly. Now, let's get into another elephant in the room, and we'll deal with this. And I know that uh, this is going to be a really great opportunity because you've been doing a lot of research about a certain topic called uh, UPG, otherwise known as unverified personal gnosis, or otherwise looked down the nose at and speaking uh, by certain other folks as that's UPG. It's not in the lore. You can't do yeah, that. You're yeah, doing it wrong. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting in that UPG is actually a neologism, which means it is a newly coined word or phrase or a new way of using old words. It is a complete fabrication. Okay. It did not even exist as a concept prior to the 1990s. Wow. Okay. Some places say 1980s, but it, what, either way, it's, it's younger than either one of us. Way, way younger than either one of us. Okay. Up until that time, it didn't freaking exist. Now, what's really interesting, the first published appearance of the term apparently was in a book on Wicca in 2003. But the genesis of the term, and I've tried very hard to actually find that first genesis, and I haven't been able to completely track it down, but believe me, I'm going to keep looking because I want to see that conversation. Its first genesis happened on a heathen message board somewhere online. Oh, really? Yes. Wow. Here in the heathen community, this was born, okay, <laughs> as a start. And then it started seeping over into other Reconstructionist groups, right? And now it's, the, the thing that I find super scary is that now it's starting to seep over into other branches of paganism where religious experience was just completely wide open and people talked about oh i talked to hecate last week and now they're going but does that match up with you but that's just upg whereas a couple of months ago they would just openly talk about their experiences with fill in the blank outer goddess now they'll talk about it and say but this is just my upg 
So it's actually like, it's, it's like, it's like a plague. It's, it's, it's everywhere now, but it's a completely made up. Yeah. Prior to 1990, we had another word for that. It was called religious or mystical experience. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I mean, do we need to be on our guard against mental sock puppets? Sure we do. You know, mental sock puppets are the thing out of which cults are born. But if you do the work, if you do the gnosis building, okay, I'm sorry, but unverified personal gnosis is a freaking oxymoron. It's gnosis. If you do that gnosis building work of knowing your gods and the culture and the lore and the history and whatever beforehand, then when that new stuff comes in, that revelatory stuff comes in, that people are looking down their noses and calling UPD, you should be fairly able to deduce whether you're speaking with a god or goddess or your own imagination. And following our gnosis and learning our the things we do from the gods is really a great way for us to one well learn with and and interact our relationships with the gods but also to share it with others and um to me it's just like building relationships and building that community with the gods much like we do uh in human culture in midgard here is you know i just don't read a book about i don't know say uh, Cary Grant and think that I know him because I've only read a book. I mean, I have to actually know or meet that person, interact with them, have dinner, have walks on the beach and walks in the in the forest and talk to them on a regular basis to actually really know them. So, well, The thing I find interesting about the whole thing with UPG2 is that if you look at every great world religion from ours to Islam to Christianity to Buddhism to fill in the blank. Every single one of those religions is based on somebody's unverified personal process. If you go back, exactly as is the quote-unquote lore, uh, the uh, the writings that people wrote down after hundreds of years of it being an oral tradition, and uh, that was somebody's. Then that was their poems. That was their stories. That was their experiences, and it was a. A, a segment of somebody. It wasn't like even across the board. I mean, back in Viking era, I mean, the Germanic continent did not necessarily always have the in, the immediate interaction with the Norse or the Icelandic or the uh, Anglo-Saxons in Britain. So we're not looking at a, a universal practice at that point. We're looking at local practices that everyone had different aspects of it. So those just happened to get written down. Yeah, well, I mean, everybody wants to talk about Ragnarok and, and the prophecies of the Velospa, right? I'm sorry, but Ragnarok and the prophecies of the Velospa were those people's unverified personal gnosis. So what makes theirs valid and our modern experiences not? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, Kala, you're also a very talented artist. We'll, we'll kind of switch norms here. And uh, you use a lot of art on your blog and throughout your book. And as part of your website, iconography, uh, how do you get the inspiration? Uh, most most of the time, it's most of the time it's actually either dream or vision imagery. It's uh, it's it's like the Roscana in Irish poetry. It's, it's only instead of words, it's pictures. But yeah, most most of the art that I create is is either dream, vision, utseta, meditation. A lot of times, if I if I Feel like I need to create something, I will actually pray on it and pray for somebody to give me a clue of how they'd like to be represented before I do it. Because I mean, the last thing you want to do is put friggin' a bad dress and she doesn't like it. 
<laughs> well, that kind of brings up uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is that you seem to move occasionally, if not more often than not, from stereotypical representations such as with Heimdall or your recent uh, creation of Frigga. So you kind of move away from some of those stereotypical meaning that are found in most heathen and Asa true art, which is it's not Viking era replicas. And uh, you seem to blend inspiration from the Viking era and bring it into the modern era. Uh, era. <laughs> so to me, that always thinks that, hey, the, the representations of the gods are not set in stone. They are not stagnant. They are not stuck in these old archaic outfits. <laughs> Why do you think it's important to do that, that we don't like represent what are, you know, like must Heimdall be envisioned with this giant ass beard uh, or all of the guards, uh, gods that way? How do they represent themselves to us today? Yeah, I, I, I'm, re I'm really excited we got to this part because I, I did some extra homework. When we're talking about conventional or even stereotypical depictions of the gods, right? That image of the long-haired, heavily braided, heavily bearded, macho muscle daddy, right? Yes. That doesn't actually come down to us from the Viking period. <laughs> that doesn't even come to a, down to us from before the Viking period, like, at all. Okay, that image actually begins with the paintings of Henry Fuseli, who painted Thor in 1790. And then it really reached its peak around the mid-1800s with artists like Martin Esther Wing and Max Koch and those guys, right? Uh-huh. Contemporary depictions, actual Viking-era depictions of the gods, or even like Bronze Age, Iron Age depictions of the gods... You see deities with beards, you see deities without beards. Sometimes the same deity is depicted in one place with a beard and one place without a beard. Frey, infinitely, is most often depicted as bare-faced. You have these athletically built, and by athletically built, I mean more like a martial artist than like Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? And often even tall and thin and willowy depictions of the gods. Uh-huh. The braiding that we think of so often is often suggested in that artwork. But if you're looking for that Wagnerian myth of the god with the strapping muscles and the blonde hair, you don't find that in Viking era depictions and before. That didn't happen until the 18th and 19th centuries. As, as far as like, must Thor always be redheaded with a beard? He is literally only, there are only two places where Thor is described as red-bearded. Both places he's called Ralfuskeg, Old Redbeard. And, and both of the, one, one is from the 13th century, the other one is 13th to 14th century. One of the places is Eric the Red Saga, the other one is Flamana Saga. And in both places, it's heavily suggested the reason why he's depicted as red is because they're trying to promote a negative image of Thor. Mm. So they're 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 anti ginger then. Yes, yes. They're trying to draw in that like Judas Iscariot was a redhead, the devil is a redhead kind of imagery with that. When you look back to earlier sources, you find places where Thor is actually referred to as Spen, Spain, boy or lad. Uh, in Thrymskvitha, while we're told he has a beard, its color isn't mentioned. In the prologue of the Prose Edda. Snorri actually describes Thor's hair as fairer than gold. Mm. Just that he might have been a strawberry blonde because you often get that Ralph gold, red gold. Um, but 
it gets confusing with the alphabet because you never know for sure when they're talking about gold versus when they're talking about amber. So it, it's just as likely that he was a blonde-haired dude like you know Hemsworth in the Marvel movies as it, as it is that he was a redhead. You know, Heimdall is another another prime example of of gods who are. If you go back to the lore, we really don't have a lot of descriptions of Heimdall. You know, we have that have you, the the whitest of the gods. I'm not even going to try the Norse pronunciation at this point. Um, the whitest of the gods in Thrones Kavitha is described that way. And so when when you know when they cast Idris Elba in the movies as Heimdall, everybody was like, oh, white, 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 and a lot of white supremacists have used that to try to say he was white. White did not become equated with Caucasian until the 17th or 18th century, you know. And again, was what is it okay to depict him without a beard? Right. Um, if you go through old Viking era art, you find a little bit of both. On the Gosforth cross, he's bearded. Uh, on a there's a stone in St. Patrick's churchyard in Yerby on the Isle of Man, he's not bearded. So it's kind of six and one. You know, it goes both ways. White, the connotation of whitest could mean most innocent and most beautiful. So therefore, to depict him as bare of face is actually historically apt. <laughs> and they, maybe they just want to shave once in a while because that's itchy. Yeah, or it's summer, you know? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I love your art and you have a lot of great stuff coming out and uh, including uh, as of today, May 17th, you have created some really cool memes about meeting the gods in their places, kind of as a response to some of the ones that post, I'm on the the battlefield, take me to Valhalla type stuff or, or being calm, I'm going to go to Valhalla. So. So these are really cool. I love them. And uh, I'm hoping, uh, I know that some more will come out, but um, I think we need to really f have a lot more art out there about our gods uh, representing us and interacting with us today in a lot of cool and fun ways. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. I logged in there last night and someone had said, perhaps someone else can create memes that are more spiritually and historically accurate. And I legitimately responded to that person, here, hold my beer. Yes. <laughs> immediately began whipping these out because we do need that. If, if we're going to complain about the gross true element, if we're going to complain about these, look at me, I'm a Viking, macho people who look down their noses at everyone else who's trying to have a living faith, we need to combat that in every way possible. And one of the ways to combat that is raise your voice, create the art, make something beautiful, you know, make something funny. Yeah. Yes. If you, if you have the talent, let's do it. It's awesome. So you are very busy. You just, we just, we're just two months out from when you released North switch. And again, um, a great, a very good book, a great book, uh, for a great starting point for entering into that, um, that heathen heart to just, Basically, um, what, how would you basically define a heathen heart? Um, my take is it's just getting to know the gods in the way that you can and working with them. But how would you define a heathen heart or a heathen I'm heart? I'm finding it in my notes, huh? <laughs> <laughs> a heart that burns to actually live this faith. 
somebody who's sick of just reading about it and wants to actually do it. Someone who's tired of being told, oh, you have to live like we're still back in the 8th, 7th, earlier centuries. This is all we have. The gods have not grown. The gods have not changed. The gods don't care about you. I think that's the one thing that I find over and over and over again that I've encountered over repeatedly in the in the healing community is that sentiment of the gods don't care about us. Well, if the gods don't care about us, why am I spending this much money on beer for them? <laughs> right. You know, a heathen heart wants to be with the gods. A heathen heart wants to work with the gods. Heathen heart wants to respect the gods. We want to respect, we want to love, we want them to live with us and live among us rather than keeping them tethered to the past and limiting them. Yes, exactly. So, moving into the future, not that you've left Norswich behind because it's still very potent and prevalent. What are you working on now? Well, I know what you're working on now. Why don't you tell our listeners what you're working on now? This, this has been, this book has been there and been God-driven for, since about December that I've been, I, I've known this was something I needed to do, but I hadn't planned on doing it until like fall, winter. But a funny thing happened on the way to our June deadline and our June book was supposed to be our publishing editor's book. She was going to re-release a fiction piece that she had formerly written with a whole bunch of extra stuff tagged onto it. And then that became clear that wasn't going to be able to happen because there was no way in heck she could bring it up to the quality that is expected at our press in that short amount of time. So then we did not have a book for June release. So I said, uh, <laughs> excuse me, hand raised in the air like an eager child in a classroom. I have another... Was this another hold my beer moment? This was another hold my beer moment. So for the past month, I have been sitting down and letting the poetry pour out of me. And it is a devotional, but it's not your typical kind of devotional. Most of a, most devotionals, even within the heathen community, um, are written in the same way as every single Christian devotional that's out there. And there are hundreds of them, trust me, um, because I, I looked at a lot of them for cover layout ideas. <laughs> but at any rate, typically a devotional works from a perspective of here, here's, here's a piece of text that I want you to think about, right? And then here's how we're going to think about it. So it's kind of a, a book, look, took kind of way of doing things. This, this does not operate that way. It's, it's, the typical format is hook, book, look, took. And that is not the method that I'm using at all. Instead of that, there is a poem every day for every day of the year. So 365 poems. Wow. With the intent of you sit down, you read the poem. There's this great song by Stevie Nicks, wherein about halfway through the song, she says, poet, priest of nothing. And what she's talking about there is that what happens in a poem isn't the words you read on the page. It's the things that fall between the lines, the paradox of poetry, if you will. 
And once you let yourself get sucked into that poetry, it takes your mind on journeys. It gets you thinking in different ways. It gets you feeling in different ways. It gets you connecting to something outside of yourself. So I have really tried to pour that into every single poem in this book. And when I get stuck, I draw runes. When I get stuck, I pray and ask them what the heck they want me to say. It's going to be a great book. And what is the title of it? Blessings of Fire and Ice. It is a Norse witch devotional. Awesome. And we can expect that late June, right? Mid mid to late June. We're, we're shooting for midsummer. Summer solstice area. Excellent. Anything else coming up along uh, a little further down the road that you're that you're working on? So that will be June. I'm hoping for a December release on Wheel of Ice and Fire, which is kind of a companion to this one. So in that you can use the devotionals and in the poetry in this book for the rituals that will be in that book, which will again take you through the whole year. So month to month, there will be things you can do to connect with the Lambetia, the Huspita, the gods and goddesses. There'll be fun holiday stuff. I'm hoping that I can hit my beloved up for some recipes. It's a workbook, but not in the typical sense of a workbook. I, I use that term very loosely. It's just the best word I've got for it right now. It is a book for you to work through. It is fun, filled, going to be filled with all sorts of cool things to bring practice into your life. That sounds amazing. And you mentioned that your beloved has recipes, and she's also working on a cookbook, correct? Yes. Our fall release, somewhere in the neighborhood of mid to late October, is going to be Faith Food and Family by Suzanne Hersey, my beloved, is a fabulous kitchen witch. And you are enduring the uh, being the guinea pig of all of these recipe experiments, I, I am sure. Oh, yes. Yeah, she's having to drag me kicking and screaming right into that. Yeah, because she bakes a lot. So there will be a diet after I remember she posted something about chicken and dumplings and my mouth just drooled all over the desk because I love chicken and dumplings. Yeah. And the recipe that she uses for the chicken and dumplings is actually Michelle's grandmother, Southern grandmother's recipe. That sounds great. Well, I'm really looking forward to the upcoming. We now we've got three books on the horizon uh, before the end of 2018. Amazing from iconography press. And that's just really great. And then we can look forward to Michelle's fiction coming up hopefully next year or shortly thereafter. I mean, that's going to be amazing too. So we've got a lot of great things coming up. Yeah, I think, I think she's going to shoot for summer on that because I'm shooting for it in spring 2019 doing Troll Dahmer, which I'm hoping that she will join me in writing. Um, which is going to be about a lot of the denizens of the other world that don't get talked about, like Helhes and Yara, and a lot of folklore stuff. But the folklore stuff is rooted in the myth, and things like hexing and cursing, and when that's okay, and when that's not okay, and the because I've got a lot of requests on them. So that's also in process. So. Great. A lot of great stuff coming up. Well, Kanla... Anything else that you would like to mention? Where can we find your books? I mean, I know, and uh, but let's tell our listeners what is the best way to find um, Iconography Press books. 
you can find you can find the book at Amazon right now. You can find it at Barnes and Noble. Some of our at least one of our local stores here in Salem, Massachusetts, is carrying it. That would be Enchanted uh, at Pickering Wharf. And it should be available for your local booksellers to request. Great. So if you can, have a local bookseller request it because that actually helps them stay in business and do well. Uh, If your local bookseller can't or you don't have a local bookseller available, I always encourage folks then to go to their favorite online place to buy to buy the book. And and that's great. Uh, Yeah. So that's really awesome to have all of that available. We also have a website, which is under our publishing editor's name, which is www.michelleiacona.com. And the blog is located there, which I I primarily write. We occasionally have guest blogs uh, from our publishing editor and now from my beloved. But that's the other place to find us. And a lot on, on my art down there as well. And also on Facebook at, at Iaconography. And I will have links for all of those in our show notes. So that's great. So that's where people can find you. And of course, after you read the books, please leave reviews. Uh, that always helps uh, Amazon and uh, I'm sure Barnes and Noble online to be able to rate the books and and have them show up easier and things like that. So Kanla, thank you so much for joining me. This is awesome. I look forward to collaborating with you on other projects and things. We had a great time working with a Nihilenia poem and artwork, which was really amazing and fun. And uh, I just love the artwork. And. I- I've had so much fun working with, with you on Blessings of Fire and Ice, too, because a little, little secret, but some of the honest poetry is in there as well. Um, I worked some, some of his fantastic stuff into some call and response stuff. So um, Jan and Gifts of the Weird will be getting a shout out in that book as well. And you are a fantastic poet. One day, one day I will convince you of that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. I appreciate that. That's awesome. And yes, um, that is an honor for me to be able to have some of that poetry um, shared in your book. So thank you. So thank you for, again, for joining us. This is excellent. We'll probably have you on again. I, I can't imagine why not. And looking forward to much more art, much more books, much more poetry, just putting it into practice. So thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Follow me on Twitter at Weird Gifts. Like my Facebook page at Gifts of the Weird. Send me an email with ideas for topics or maybe some heathen musicians or guests that you think might be interesting to listen to on the podcast, giftsoftheweird at gmail.com. Check out the show notes for links. Thank you, and hail the gods.